Open wide your heavens. Let your name be known. So the world will know, Lord, we are not alone. You who once did awesome deeds, show your presence here. Open star-wide heavens. Let us know you are near. Thank you to our children for a wonderful start. Please join me in the prayer of the day printed in our bulletin. Creator God, 
You call us to live life believing in your wisdom and mercy, in your kindness and love. And so we have gathered to praise and thank you for these and all your gifts. You bless us with your constant presence in the Holy Spirit, sustaining always by your power. Strengthen us to remain steadfast in faith, love, and service. Help us to desire the reward of knowing your will as we participate in your purposes for all whom you love in Jesus, our Christ. Amen. Fallen redemption, Lord, we wait and pray. Why do you seem hidden? Are you far away? Though your faithfulness is sure, we have often sinned, like our leaves are fading, carried by the wind. Mysterious Mysterious God, we confess our preference for life that is predictable and for goodness, love, honesty, and fairness to be accompanied by reward. Our experience suggests there is a fallacy in such expectation. Good people suffer while seemingly evil people go unpunished. Our belief is that you desire only our highest good, but we confess how difficult it is for us to trust you when trial and trouble, sickness and sorrow, come upon us and our loved ones, when we see the suffering in the world and evil running rampant. Forgive us when we succumb to fear, hesitating to live life fully because of the unknowns. And forgive us when we fail to remain steadfast and faithful as disciples of Jesus. Amen. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory which is our potential in Christ. But... By the mercy of God, made known to us in the cross and resurrection of Jesus, we are assured our sin is forgiven. This is an unearned, undeserved gift of grace from the one who loves us fully and forever. All praise and thanks be to God. Until today, I have never read in public worship from the fifth chapter of Judges. Actually, this whole chapter is a song. It is the weirdest song I've ever read in Scripture. Uh, We're going to read through portions of it. In order to really understand the song a little, you have to know what's happened in chapter 4 of of, uh, Judges. There you will learn about the great judge, Deborah, a woman who was very, very strong. And the song is about her victory and the victory of her helper, another woman whose name was Jael. Then Deborah and Barak, son of Obinoam, sang on that day, singing, 
When locks are long in Israel, when the people offer themselves willingly, bless the Lord. Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes, to the Lord. I will sing. I will make melody to the Lord, the God of Israel. Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the region of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens poured, the clouds indeed poured water. The mountains quaked before the Lord, one of Sinai before the Lord, the God of Israel. Awake, awake, Deborah. Awake, awake, utter song. Arise, Barak. Lead the way your captives, O son of Abinoam. Then the Lord marched the remnant of the noble, the people of the Lord, marched down for him against the mighty. From Ephraim they set out into the valley following you. Benjamin with your kin, from Machir marched down the commanders. Zebulun is a people that scorn death. Naphtali, too, on the heights of the field. The kings came, they fought. Then fought the kings of Canaan at Tanakh by the waters of Megiddo. They got no spoils of silver. The stars fought from heaven. From their courses they fought against Sisera. Most blessed of women be Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, of tent-dwelling women most blessed. He asked water, she gave him milk. She brought him curds in a lordly bowl. She put her hand to the tent pig and her right hand to the workman's mallet. She struck Sisera a blow, crushed his head. He sank. He fell. He lay still at her feet. At her feet he sank. He fell where he sank. There he fell dead. And the land had rest for 40 years. It's a twisted-looking song. I'm going to invite um, children to join me in the chancel, and I'm going to bring you up to the table. You can come on up here to this table, because we've got some paper cutting to do. I have paper, and I want to tell you about another strong woman who has been a part of American history. When the Revolutionary War took place, the first great war of this country, which won our freedom from England, in that war, they decided that there's one thing they didn't have, which was a flag. So, the general who was really with the army, the general was George Washington. And the woman, he said, we should have a flag, 13 stripes and 13 stars, one for every one of the colonies. And so he made a star. And the star that he made had six points. And so a woman who was a very good sewer, her name was Betsy Ross. And they asked her to make the flag. And she said that if it was a good flag, it would not have a star with six points. It would have a star with five points. Because all flags with stars that are heraldry correct have five points. So, the general decided that he and his men, especially 
his tailor would try to cut out a five-pointed star. So would you like to try and cut a five-pointed star for me? Me, I am just going to try and fold some paper here and see how well I can do folding paper because I'm really not all that good at this. But you could cut out a five-pointed star, and um, as you're doing that, maybe you want to count how many times you cut your paper. I folded mine now. You got one point cut? Let me, let me do this. I'm going to make one cut right here. How many points on my star? Five. That's what Betsy Ross did. She showed all of General Washington's men how to cut a five-pointed star. And so we don't quite sing a song about her cutting the star. But every time we sing the Star Spangled Banner or National Anthem, we can think about Betsy Ross, really, who helped make this kind of flag. Now, here's one of the secrets. One of the secrets that she had was that she used a piece of paper like this, and most of the time that you find paper, it is eight and a half inches across by 11 inches long. She took her piece of paper and made it eight and a half by 10. That's one of the secrets. And at the back of the church, when you leave today, I've got all the directions on how to fold, and then with one cut, make a five-pointed star. Good idea? Just one cut. One cut. Yeah. So we'll put the paper back there, and we'll put, um, we'll put uh, the directions on how to fold. Let's pray about this. Lord God, we give you thanks for wonderful people like Deborah and Jail and Betsy Ross and people who have meant so much to us in our past and our history. We give you thanks for freedom and for all of the stars that you create, for the stars in the heavens and the stars who are really people that are important to us. Lord God, may we shine like the stars and be your bright people in a world that sometimes feels like it's dark. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you have a great time in Sunday school today. Yeah. That's hard, isn't it, that way? It'd be easier the other way. Yeah. Yeah, you can have these directions, and there's more in the back.
We are blessed with, I think, the most incredible uh, treasure that any church I have ever served has, and that's Rob Rhodes. And Rob, I'm grateful that you've come to bring us a report a little bit, and, and we look forward to it. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Bruce. Uh, In the past, as part of our stewardship campaign, I've shared with you some facts and figures on our financial condition and budget. And I'll do that briefly this year, but in keeping with our stewardship campaign of all-stars living generously, I thought I'd point out some situations recently where members of our congregation, as well as those who've gone before us, have helped this church in many ways above and beyond their contribution to our annual budget. You may recall seeing in the bulletin that the generosity team maintains a list of projects uh, that have been put forth by members of our committees and groups, uh, programs and projects that are beyond the scope of our annual budget. The so-called wish list can be found on our, our website. And we're pleased to note that several people have come forward and offered to provide support for lighting our beautiful stained glass windows, an example of living generously. We recently replaced the carpeting in the church office. It was worn and frayed and was frankly a a hazard. Under the direction of Bob Collins, a group of volunteers, along with our custodians, uh, Bill and John, took it upon themselves to pull everything out of the church office, all the equipment and furniture. They removed all the old carpeting, repaired the floors, and and then when completed, put everything back in, in a way that the church office barely skipped a beat. Their volunteer time and effort... Uh, saved the church over $2,000 in that particular project. Our Board of uh, Trustees Building Grounds Committee identified a a program whereby we could replace our existing lighting fixtures and and bulbs with new, low-cost, low-energy systems, savings of almost 80% of our current lighting electric usage significant savings. Our IT committee, better known as the Geek Squad, (laughs) along with the uh, able assistance of of Craig Kunkel, upgraded our uh, phone system as well as our internet service provider, saving us money, but just as importantly, provided significant uh, capabilities, uh, enhancements to our phone system as well as faster response time. These efforts of time and talent provided by volunteers of the church are very beneficial and certainly saved us money as well. Now, these last two projects cost $17,000, money that, frankly, was above and beyond our operating budget. But due to the generosity of those who have come before us, making endowed gifts, income of which could be used to support building projects. We were able to fund those projects, and as a result of the cost savings, we'll recoup that expense in about two to three years, as well as achieve savings on an ongoing basis, living generously from those who've come before us.
With respect to our stewardship campaign, and let me briefly give you some history. If you recall back in 2012-2013, we had operating deficits of about $60,000. That is, our income fell short of expenses by that amount each year. Based upon the significant response in our 2014 stewardship campaign, we were able to reduce our budget deficit that year down to about $20,000, a $37,000 increase in pledges for that year. Last year at this time for the 2015 stewardship campaign, the congregation responded with an increase of over $32,000 from the prior year. And as a result, if all uh, pledges are met, we expect to have a a deficit of about $20,000 in this calendar year, while we've been able to offer a modest salary increase to our pastors and staff, certainly well-deserved. And we uh, were fully staffed for virtually all of this year. I mentioned endowment. Um, we received an uh, anonymous gift of $100,000 this year into our endowment fund, and in the year 2013 and 14, combined gifts of about $60,000 were added to our endowment. The original value of all gifts donated to the church is over $1.1 million, and over time, the market value has doubled. We truly have been blessed. Your stewardship support helps us further our mission and our vision for this church, a vision that includes an expanded and extremely beneficial mission and outreach program that affects thousands locally, regionally, and around the world, a vision that includes a wonderful Christian education committee and our program that helps build on the foundation of faith for our youth and children and provides inspiring and educational programs for our adults, such as the current program by Dr. Froman. Our vision that includes a beautiful facility, a warm and welcoming worship program, an opportunity that's so meaningful to all of us, highlighted by the very professional and competent music program that we have here. A vision that provides for us extremely dedicated, caring, and meaningful pastors who minister us individually and as a congregation, as well as a very dedicated staff that helps it all come together. I believe we're truly blessed. We've been blessed by those who've come before us who are a blessing to others. And your support of this year's stewardship campaign will help us to continue to be a blessing and to reach our vision. I'd like to spend just a moment in closing inform you of a, a program that we'll be implementing here shortly. Uh, a number of people have come up to me and said, 
You know, Rob, one of the last checks I write is to the church. I think we all uh, take advantage of online purchases, bill paying, use of credit and, and debit cards. We've entered into an agreement with a vendor who will provide us an electronic giving program. Quite simply, what that means is you'll be able to access an account that you set up by hitting a donate button on our website, and you'll be able to make a contribution or donation for essentially anything that you might otherwise write a check for, whether that's an offering or a pledge contribution. And these contributions can set up on a regular recurring basis. Whether it's a uh, special offering, for example, our peacekeeping. Maybe you'd like to contribute to uh, one of our fundraising opportunities, but you may be out of town. So you'll be able to provide a gift to Habitat or our Heifer Fair program. Or you might want to support uh, a mission trip or if you're going on a trip to make a, a payment for that program, you'll be able to do that as well, all electronically and safely. Payment can come from any checking or savings account, or you can use a credit card or a debit card. All of it's secure at the highest level of Internet protection, provided by an organization that's been in business for over 15 years, and currently has over 15,000 not-for-profit and church clients. So we feel very comfortable with the system. There is no cost to members to use this service. While the church will incur a minor charge for electronic uh, bank transfers and about a 3% charge for any credit card usage, you will have an opportunity to increase your contribution if you so wish to cover those fees. And the churches we've talked to all have found that upon implementation of electronic giving, they've actually seen an increase in contributions to the church that more than offsets the cost of the service. There'll be a lot more information coming out about this in the uh, weeks to come, and we look forward to implementing it around the first of, uh, first of the new year. Thank you for your attention, and thank you for living generously. Thanks so much, Rob, and thanks to Karen, who lets you show up around here so much, too. <laughs> we confound with questions... Why do nations rage? When will Christ be coming? Is he just a sage? Let no one lead you astray. Many will appear claiming their Messiah. What will people hear? Stay awake and faithful. Grace is close at hand. Hope is in Christ Jesus. By God's love we stand. Darkness will be over. Wait for God's new day. Through the Holy Spirit, follow in Christ's way. After days of suffering, 
Earth's moon won't give light. Stars will fall from heaven, crashing from their height. Earthly powers be shaken. What will humans see? But in clouds' redemption, angels' victory. Our gospel lesson for this morning is taken from Mark chapter 13 and is otherwise known as the Little Apocalypse. I invite you to hear God's word to you. As Jesus came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what large stones and what large buildings. Then Jesus asked him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. When he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked Jesus privately, Tell us, when will this be? And what will be the sign all these things are about to be accomplished? Then Jesus began to say to them, Beware that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name and say, I am he, and they will lead many astray. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is still to come. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. This is but the beginning of the birth pangs. As for yourselves, beware, for they will hand you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings because of me as a testimony to them. And the good news must first be proclaimed to all nations. When they bring you to trial and hand you over, do not worry beforehand about what you are to say, but say whatever is given to you at the time, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit." Brother will betray brother to death and father to his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated, all because of my name. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. But when you see the desolating sacrilege set up where it ought not to be, let the readers understand, then those in Judea must flee to the mountains. The one on the housetop must not go down to enter the house to take anything away. The one in the field must not turn back to get a coat. Woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing infants in those days. Pray that it may not be in winter. For in those days there will be suffering, such as not has been seen from the beginning of the creation that God has created until now. No, and never will be. And if the Lord has not cut short those days, no one would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he has cut short those days. And if anyone says to you at that time, look, here is the Messiah. Or, look, there he is. Do not believe it. False messiahs and false prophets will appear and produce signs and omens to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be alert. I've already told you everything. But in those days, after that suffering, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. Then he will send out his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. The word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Harry, thanks for reading that passage of scripture. That is not an easy text to read. And um, 
we tend not to read passages like this or the one that we uh, read from Judges. It was good that when worship started, we got to experience, on the one hand, um, Bruce Frank's artistry, on the other, his sense of humor, as he played that Bach piece that made everything sound like Halloween. This is kind of a Reformation Sunday for us. Uh, We're not spending a lot of time with it. Uh, One year, I decided that uh, lifting up the Scottish portion of the Reformation would be good and recalling uh, the great reformer John Knox, so I put on my kilt. And then uh, I was on my way to the church, and I parked, as I commonly do, over uh, behind the bank, CNB, and uh, walked past, stopped and got a cup of coffee at Starbucks. And the barista looked at me in my kilt and said, starting Halloween a little early, are we? <laughs> if you really want something wonderful, then you'll, you'll hang around because Bruce has another incredible piece by Bach to play at the conclusion of worship. If you want something to remember this morning, I'm going to give you a very short sentence that you could scribble on the side of your bulletin. You don't have to do this, but here it is. Sometimes, in order to see the stars, you have to wait until it is really dark. It is a sentence that applies to all of us who feel humbled in the midst of having what we think is value assaulted by sheer humility. Two pastors saw a problem. They wanted to be helpful. One Lutheran, one Presbyterian, stood on the side of the road holding up signs. It wasn't that they were anticipating Reformation Sunday. They just really wanted to be helpful. The Lutheran sign read, the end is near. The Presbyterians on the other side of the road helped a sign which read, turn back before it's too late. They held the signs up to each passing car. The first driver passed them said, get a job. The second driver immediately behind the first yelled, leave us alone you religious fanatics and freaks. Shortly from around the curve, these two clergymen heard screeching tires and then a splash and then more screeching tires, another splash. And the Lutheran looked over to Presbyterian and said, do you think we should try a different sign? And this Presbyterian responded thoughtfully, said, perhaps our signs ought to simply say, bridge out. I mean, it may not be that the end is near, but it might be that the unthinkable happens. Vancouver, Vancouver, this is it. That was the voice on the radio. It was the voice of David Johnson from his monitoring station on the north flank of Mount St. Helens. It was May 18, 1980. What Johnson had witnessed as he called in his warning 
was the largest landslide in recorded history. A magnitude 5.1 earthquake had caused a wave of earth and ice to rush down the side of Mount St. Helens at about 150 miles per hour. By the time it petered out, the landslide entombed 24 square miles of forest. The landslide, in effect, left the mountain, which contained a volcano, now with no cap. Without a cap, a cap of earth, to keep this volcano sealed under its pressure, Mount St. Helens exploded. It sent up a hundred-story plume of ash. The ash was filled with magma and rocks and sand, and it spread destruction ten miles wide as it plowed down valleys and over ridges at a speed of over 700 miles per hour. There were 57 fatalities that day, including David Johnson. Neither he nor his trailer was ever found, both presumably hurtled into the next valley and buried in debris. Such destruction as the eruption of Mount St. Helens is so unthinkable until it happens. Some of us saw that kind of destruction come quickly. I don't know if you are aware, this congregation sent 14 different teams from here down to New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina struck. And even now, some people are wondering how we will get together and help people that have been inundated by water in South Carolina. The destruction we saw was etched into our minds. It happened. When people face crisis like this, because sometimes crises come when we just don't expect it, it is at that point we finally set aside all the celebrity that our culture currently craves. During times of crisis like this, we begin to recover what is really valuable and important Sometimes we wonder if God permits disasters to happen, to exist, so that humility will again overtake us and that community will again be forged. For we live in a time when there is such great celebration of celebrity. Celebrity is public attention in the media. Celebrity status is commonly associated with wealth or successful careers in sports and the entertainment industry. Occasionally, political leaders become celebrities, often because of either their lifestyle or controversial actions or connections to someone else they think is famous. The search for celebrity stands in stark contrast to humility. And in today's texts, 
It is the humility that gets the star billing. Have you noticed? We really have seemed to have lost our way. Politicians talk about it in accusatory tones. I think that columnist David Brooks put his finger on something when he has described a shift in our culture, a shift from a culture of self-effacement that says, nobody's better than me, but I'm no better than anyone else, to a culture of self-promotion. Recognize my accomplishments. I'm pretty special. For many of us, our childhood contained no message t-shirts, no exclamation points on typewriters. As a matter of fact, my typewriter, you had to backspace and put a period, and then you backspace and put another mark, and then you could get an exclamation point. That culture had no sympathy ribbons for various diseases, no bumper stickers with personal or moral declarations. Of the 23 men and women who served in Dwight Eisenhower's cabinets, only one, the Secretary of Agriculture, published a memoir afterwards, and it was so discreet and so soporific that no one read it. By the time the Reagan administration rolled around, 12 of his 30 cabinet members published memoirs, almost all of them self-advertising. And according to contracts being released even now, it appears that every one of our current president's cabinet staff will be asked to write their memoirs. In 1950, the Gallup organization asked high school seniors if they considered themselves to be a very important person. And at that point, 12% said yes. The same question was asked in 2005, and this time it was not 12% who considered themselves to be very important. It was 80%. Psychologists have a narcissism test. They read statements and they ask people if the statements apply to them. Statements like this. I like to be the center of attention. I show off if I get the chance because I'm extraordinary. Somebody should write a biography about me. Now, the median narcissism score has risen 30% in two decades, 93% of people score higher now than the middle score 20 years ago. Along with this apparent rise in self-esteem, there has been a tremendous increase in the desire for fame. Fame used to rank low on life's ambition for most people. In 1976, there was a survey that asked people to list their life goals, and fame ranked 15th out of 16. By 2007, 
51% reported that being famous was one of their top personal goals. I am so surprised that anyone who studies mass shootings hasn't begun to evaluate some of this cultural shift. Our popular culture is teaching the message, you are special. Trust yourself. Movies from Pixar and Disney are constantly telling our children how wonderful they are. Commencement speeches are larded with the same cliches. Follow your passion. Don't accept limits. Chart your own course. As Ellen DeGeneres put it in her address in 2009, my advice to you is to be true to yourself and everything will be just fine. And then in her mega-selling book, Eat, Pray, Love, Elizabeth Gilbert wrote that God manifests himself through my own voice within my own self. God really dwells within you as yourself exactly the way you are. Really? We've bought into this claptrap, haven't we? I mean, you can even see the shift in our culture from the words that flow from pulpits. Joel Osteen, one of the most popular megachurch leaders today, says from his pulpit in Houston, God did not create you to be average. He tells of this in his book, Become a Better You. Holstein says, you were made to excel. You were made to leave a mark on this generation. Start believing I've been chosen, set apart, destined to live in victory. Who in their right mind would ever want to listen to a Reformation message that says we're sinners? It cuts clear across culture. We're redeemed people. We've been throwing out humility. The humble person is soothing and gracious, while the self-promoting person, believe it or not, can be very fragile and jarring. Humility is a freedom from the need to prove you are superior all the time. But egotism is a ravenous hunger in a small space, self-concerned, competitive. Humility is fused with lovely emotions like admiration and companionship and gratitude. It leads to wisdom. It is an awareness that there is so much in life that you just don't know. Our self-centeredness is leading us in some very unfortunate directions. It's taking us to selfishness and a desire to use people as means to get what we want for ourselves. We are becoming a people who focus on self-confidence and self-esteem while ignoring the most important self-respect. 
Self-respect is not based on IQ or any mental or physical gift. It doesn't matter what you look like. It is not comparative. It is earned by being better today than you were yesterday. It emerges in one who is morally dependable. Self-respect is produced by those internal triumphs, not external ones. It can only be earned by a person who has endured things like temptation, who has confronted their own weaknesses and who knows it is God who can help me overcome this. If there's anything we need to recover, it is our self-respect. But in a time of celebrity Star Wars, this is a quality that can hopefully become rediscovered in Scripture and used to reshape our lives a little from this ancient text. The coaching staff at Central High School in Claremont, Florida, was having a problem. The football players were stealing the jerseys that the team used for practice. The coaches thought that they could solve the problem by printing on the jerseys the words, Stolen from Central High School. Did I need to say to you that this did not lessen the popularity of the jerseys? The thefts increased. Coach had a brainstorm. He ordered new practice jerseys printed with the words, Central High School, fourth string. (laughs) Not a single one of the jerseys was stolen. Not surprising. Very few of us want to be there. We all want to be winners. We want to be people who have life all figured out. We want to be achievers, successful in every area of our lives. We want celebrity even to the cost of our own pride and our self-respect. It can come out as pride that insinuates itself, even in our praise of humility. We get a sip of this from the book of Judges. And a sip may be all we really want. When you go reading through the book of Judges, there are a couple of phrases you will always find in the book. One is this phrase, um, Israel again did that which is evil in the sight of the Lord. And then after the story of each judge comes this verse. It repeats itself time and time again. And there was no king in Israel. So Ehud had died. He was one of the judges. I remember this from my Sunday school years as a high school kid. He was the only left-handed judge. How do we know this? text doesn't say directly. All the text says is 
that Ehud carried his shield in his right hand, which meant that he kept his sword in his left. He was the left-handed judge. So he died. And what would the text say? Then Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and so the Lord raised up another judge. Only this was really a very unique judge. This was a woman whose name was Deborah. She was quite wise. As we take a look, and the narrator lines things out for us, the country is being attacked. The attention-getter here is King Jabin. He shows no mercy. He begins to rape and pillage all of Israel. His cruel oppression lasts for about 20 years. And finally, the people have had enough. They cry out to God, and cry, God provides Deborah. Now, long before Buffy the Vampire Slayer or Zena the warrior princess or Laura Croft or even Charlie's Angels, Israel had some women champions and she's one of them. She is the voice of inspiration, the motivational speaker who puts a fire under Barak and he gathers about 10,000 troops at Mount Tabor. Sisera gets wind of what he considers an insurrection and he prepares to subdue these upstart Israelites. Sisera calls on 900 of his chariots, his version of weapons of mass destruction. The battle itself receives only scant attention from the narrator in the biblical text. But, lo and behold, Barak says, I will go into battle to Deborah if you will go with me. He didn't have enough confidence. And she says, oh, well, you will have a victory, that I will predict but you will not get the credit for it. That's pretty humbling for a general. He goes to battle. Sisera goes on the run. And lo and behold, as his army is being slaughtered, Sisera winds up at the tent of Heber. And there at the tent, he's welcomed by Heber's wife. Her name is Jael. She rolls out the red carpet. He asks for some water. She gives him milk. He asked for something to eat. She said, well, here after you have an eat, why don't you come here and have a nap? And then the brutality happens. That often occurs in the Old Testament. Jail got a tent peg, and with a mallet, she drove it through the temple and skull of Sisera and killed him. Who won the battle? Barak. Who got the credit? Well, there's a whole song about it. Deborah and Jael and all that they had done and accomplished. It's pretty wonderful. By the time we get to the New Testament, Jesus is leaving the temple with his disciples. They're pretty impressed with what they see. They look at Jesus and they say, basically, Golly, look at these big stones. This will last forever. 
And Jesus said, no, not one of these will be left on top of one another. You know how big these stones were? One of the big stones in the ancient temple was ten times as large as the largest stone in the Egyptian pyramids. Jesus said, they will not be left standing on each other. And of course, come 70 AD, that was true. Then we have this long teaching from him that is very humbling. The first of what he has to say concerns false teachers. Jesus says, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming that I am he. Marcus Borg points out in his book, Speaking Christian, that most Christians throughout history never have ever heard of the rapture. And with good reason. The word and notion it embodies are a modern innovation going back less than two centuries. Nobody even thought about the rapture until the 1800s. Because millions of Christians think that the rapture is biblical teaching and thus has the authority of the Bible behind it, it's important to know that it is neither biblical nor ancient, writes Borg. It was first proclaimed by the British evangelist John Nelson Darby in the first half of the 19th century. Darby concocted his vision of the rapture by his interpretation of a few passages in the Bible, including the one we read today. According to Darby's imaginative scenario, the rapture begins as a series of events that will unfold seven years before the second coming of Jesus and the final judgment, and more specifically refers to an event when true Christians, as he would term them, will be raptured or taken up into heaven before Jesus returns, and those who are raptured will be spared the tribulation. Everyone else will be left behind. And as you've probably guessed, the rapture is the premise of a series of novels appropriately entitled Left Behind by authors Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins. And those novels have sold more than 60 million copies since they were published first in the mid-1990s. These books have made their authors very wealthy. All 12 in the original series have been on the New York Times best-selling fiction list. And before the Left Behind series, there was The Late Great Planet Earth, a best-selling book by Hal Lindsey describing the same scenario. And if you want to find out what really happened to Hal Lindsey, I'll tell you at Coffee Hour. Jesus said, be cautious about these. And then he said, I warn you against misinterpreting contemporary events like wars and natural disasters, thinking that the end is near. In a classic Peanuts cartoon, Lucy and Linus are standing at a window watching it rain, and Lucy says to Linus, Look at it rain. What if the whole earth floods? And Linus says, well, it won't. God promised Noah in Genesis chapter 9 he would never flood the world again. The sign of a promise is the rainbow. 
Well, Lucy smiled, and she replied, Linus, you've taken a great load off my mind. To which Linus says, uh, sound theology has a way of doing that. Christ's message is for us in a troubled time. You just stay in the race and you're sure to win it. We're all sinners. And we're humbled by God's grace. And it is that that gives the world the self-respect it misses. Carried by our culture, we seek more and more. As we long to prosper, we forget the poor. As we yearn for earthly things, we forget your name. Open wide your heavens, make us whole again. Lord Jesus, you work through us to bring blessing into the lives of the lost and lonely, the poor and needy. And you teach us to give without judging those who seem to be worthy and deserving, and those who do not. May this offering be used according to your higher knowledge and purposes, for we give it freely and dedicate it in your holy name. Amen. Pierce Day, happy 91st birthday. Congratulations. We are going to miss you. I hope you have a wonderful time down with your family in the Carolinas. 
And Dave and Joanne Churchill, what the heck? You couldn't stay away from us. We love you. We wish you Godspeed. May it all come together anyways. We're also in prayer for those families that are grieving this weekend. Jean McAndrews Memorial Service was held yesterday, and the beautiful flowers were in memory of her. We also give thanks and praise for the ways that God has received other saints into the kingdom. Many of you know our nursery school downstairs and its fabulous director, Teresa Zydeco. Her mother passed away earlier this week, and so we are with the Zydeco family as they gather and memorialize her mother tomorrow. Friends, please pray with me. Source of steadfast love in the morning, in you we may rejoice and be glad all our days. With your favor upon us, the work of our hands prospers to your honor and glory. The fruits of your goodness bring us starlight. Gleanings of the harvest reflect your grace. When with fear and trembling your followers have faced an unknown future, you've sent forth your spirit to comfort their plight. We thank you, O God, that your presence abides with us. We rejoice in the truth that Christ died to make known. We pray with the assurance that you know of our needs before we utter these words, these words that our Lord and Savior taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. One other prayer request. Please keep in prayer the family of Kathy Mashili's great-aunt, Aunt Fifi, who at 102 joined the kingdom this weekend. Thank you. Oh. 
potter we are simply clay take the lives we offer mold us more each day on this autumn holy day show us all anew you reach out and bless us when we wait for you go in peace may the love of god the father the grace of our lord jesus christ and the blessing of the holy spirit go with us and abide with us all today and in the life everlasting amen Good to hear the kids all doing that. That was pretty neat. That's a lot of fun. Oh, it was great. Yeah, Betty. I really enjoyed all the kids, too. I mean, it's it's cool. I think we should have gotten them the big symbols on. <laughs> good morning, this morning. They put you to work again today. That's good. That's good. Hey, Jamie. Who are you looking for? Oh, Carrie. She went, she's probably at coffee hour. Yeah. Making all kinds of notes. And Matt's over, Matt's over there. Go find Matt. Good. He's having a fun time dancing with his feet. Oh, yes. He, he plays about half that with his feet today. He plays about half that with his feet. 
Who do you have to find? Carrie, I think she went to coffee hour. Yeah, she went to coffee hour. Yeah. Hi, Sandy. He's having a good time playing that with his feet. Oh, there she is. Oh, yeah. There she is. Jamie was looking for Carrie, so. to think about um, the loss of self-respect in our culture. And I think it's been misplaced by feeling that everybody needs to be encouraged to have self-esteem. And in the process, we've lost it. We've lost the self-esteem. People really don't have it more. They have the language of saying, I've got self-esteem. But the problem is self-respect is amount of this piece is this foot pedal. I guess, uh, I'm glad you're here. Yeah. That's nice. Oh, you going to make it all one day? No. So you drive from here to where? Oh, good. that will be happening this week. So so I don't know if I'll... I don't really know. Usually I do, but I haven't talked to her. I've been talking to my other sister because her daughter had a baby yesterday. So we've been talking about... And she was like labor in 30... For 30 hours of labor, which is a little long. a lot of, and alumni are really good at supporting. That's where they get the money. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Affordable comparatively. Yes. A lot of money. Yeah. Thanks. Hi, man. He's, he's having a good time playing this piece. Oh, uh, it's November 8th, the, uh, the right Sunday. 
Tanya Van Dorn for Elder. Okay. Handed me that today. Somebody gave me that name for Elder. I know it is. And then I recur. Yeah. Although I did recur. Oh, that was great. Oh, yeah. Huh? How's the practice? Oh, good. Thanks for preaching. Thanks. Well, I, I think we've so pumped people up to think that self-esteem is what they need to pursue that it's false. It's a false self-esteem. We've just kind of tried to lay this on people. And I think that in the process, if we do that, self-respect goes out and the whole culture collapses. My, my particular view. <laughs> and, and so uh, I, I could talk on that subject a lot. And, and because I think that when we recognize our own sinfulness then, and God's grace, then we want to live better tomorrow than I lived yesterday. And that ultimately improves all culture. Now, do we take that um, green one down? Kids today. Um, yeah, she, we're concerned about rashes from the medication that she takes. She takes. Um, she's she's off of her infusions right now, but she still takes a pill form of chemo, and that there's some side effects. But on the whole, I think she's doing wonderful, and we're so grateful for Wilmot. Um, uh, the head of Wilmot Cancer Center happens to be her doctor, and he's watched the case pretty well. And we were advised not to, to go to the fellow who had been the director because he was traveling so much, so we were told, go to his protege because he'll be on the case. <laughs> you know how that works? It's really incredible. Yeah. Martha really enjoys Thank you. Well, Martha loves her kids. Oh, she's thinking about that. She thinks her kids are about the grandest young people she knows. She really, really likes them. And and there's a certain coloring of Sophia that is very similar to our granddaughter Haley. I think that's one of the attractions. 